Hey, this is Kevin Weatherby at Save the Cowboy. I want you to tow that stirrup, throw a leg over the candle, take a deep seat, and pull your hat down tight. I ain't gonna tolerate no whining or griping, so let's all strike a long trot down that narrow trail and learn how to ride with God. Come on! What you waiting on? Let's go. So I have discovered a new pastime, and I don't want to get all of the, you know, media stuff and what I'm fixing to say, but um, some people introduced me to TikTok, and you can find some of the funniest videos in the entire universe on that thing, but I like watching the cowboy videos on there, and uh, th- there's some really funny ones, and then there's some really cool ones, and uh, I was watching this one video, well, I was watching a bunch of videos, and it just reminded me that every single time a lot of those guys got bucked off, there was, well, let's say that there was two reasons that they got bucked off. The first reason was they was riding something that they probably shouldn't have, or it was young or something like that. But the second reason is, a lot of them that got bucked off, they grabbed the saddle horn and they pulled themselves forward. Well, when you pull yourself forward, what happens to your legs? They go back. You blow a stirrup, when you blow a stirrup, (laughs) you're, you're, you're on borrowed time, or they'll pull themselves forward and go over the front. And on one of the videos, and I've seen, I've seen some cowboys do it, and I, I've never done it, but it, it's pretty cool is when a horse starts bucking real hard, and they reach back and grab the back of the candle, pull themselves down. Oh, it's, it's cool to watch those guys. But, you know, th- there's an assumption. We just have like this deal that when something starts happening on a horse, we're going to grab the saddle horn and pull ourselves forward. Well, that's where you usually go off. So I was taught, do not confuse I was taught with I am good at, Okay. But I was taught, you can put your hand on the saddle horn, but push back. Don't pull forward. And it's, it's easier said than done. But uh, I was watching a buddy of mine that was the dog sergeant at a prison that I worked at. And dog sergeant was in charge of all the horses. And anyway, he called me out there. He's like, hey, I'm going to get on this horse and uh, want you to be out here in case something happens. I was like, okay. So he got on this, this little... Uh, Oh, I don't know, sorrel, light-colored sorrel horse. She looked good. She had a blaze face. He got on her. She let him get on. She was just standing there, and when he tried to untrack her, she blew right in two. And he's the one that taught me about horses. Well, he always rode the good horses, and I always rode the stupid horses. So I'd never really seen a horse really buck with him before, and he was in his mid-50s. He's like Ty's age. And uh, (laughs) it's how you feel, especially at negative nine. And so anyway... He puts his hand on the saddle horn like this, holds himself down in the back of the, uh, the saddle, and every time that horse would come up in the air, I've never seen a guy with feet so fast in my life. I mean, he would jackhammer that thing. And then he'd set his feet whenever she hit. When she'd jump up again, and finally she got tired of that, so she moved out. And that's another thing that a lot of, it's just instinctual that pull them up to stop them. Well, a horse can't buck if it's really kind of going out. I mean, it can kind of jump a little bit, but the faster it goes, the harder it is for that horse to buck. I could never get this through my thick skull. And whenever I was watching him do it, he really made me feel stupid. He didn't mean to. Well, it made me not feel stupid. I was kind of in awe because about three jumps into this thing, while he's got his hand like this and he is just hammering away, on this, this little mare, he looks over at me and grins. 
If I look away, that's exactly where I'm going to hit. So this guy, this guy was good. But, you know, he ran away from home at like 13 or 14. And, I mean, that's what he did was uh, ride bucking horses. So he had, a, he had some good pointers. You know, sometimes things seem easy. And so when, when you think things are easy, it must be the right way to do something. And so most of the time these assumptions that just because something is easy and natural that that must mean it's right and that's not always the case today we're going to talk about fatal assumptions and when I say fatal assumptions I am not saying that you know if you've ever had one of these assumptions that you're dead okay that is not the case whatsoever I'm just saying that they could be very detrimental to your Christian life okay so we're talking about three things today I'm not going to keep y'all very long at all these will be short and sweet. We'll be out of here by noon. So anyway, the first fatal assumption that I want to talk about, and you're going to wonder, like, why is this a fatal assumption? But just hear me out, okay? The first fatal assumption is that God has a specific plan for your life. That God has a specific plan for your life. Most people believe it, but is it true? Well, I think we'd like to think that God has a specific uh, job for us to do. That we're supposed to live in a specific location. That we're supposed to be married to a specific person. And I think that we get all weirded out a lot of times when there comes to a decision. And we always say, is this what God wants me to do? Right? Is this what God wants me to do? Here's the answer. And you're going to have to be mature adults. Okay? Even me. God doesn't care what you do. And I don't think that God really cares where you live. And I don't think that there's just one person out there that if you happen to miss the exit, that, you know, you're never going to find love, okay? I, I don't think it really matters. God doesn't really care. But let's look at some Bible verses that mention God's plan. Just to see what the Bible says about it. Because does God have a specific plan for your life? Or are we assuming something with that specific plan? The, the most famous one is Jeremiah 29, 11, And I didn't have you turn there because most people know it already, even if you don't know what it is. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Think about this. God is sitting here saying, I know what my plan for you is. Okay, this is what it says. They are plans to work at McDonald's not cowboying, to give you a lot of money and not struggle, and you're supposed to marry cowboys, unless you're a boy, then it's a cowgirl. No, it doesn't say that, you know it. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not evil, to give you a future and a hope. Now, is there anything in there about a specific job you're supposed to do? Is there anything in there about a specific location that you're supposed to live? Is there anything in there about a specific person that you're supposed to marry? No. He just says, man, what I want for your life is good, not evil. What I want for your life is a future and a hope. I don't want you to be hopeless. I don't want you to think that everything is a waste of time. That's why I say God doesn't care. 
He wants things for you, but it doesn't revolve. Because, I mean, how can you have plans for a future and a hope if you think that you're so locked up that if you don't make the right choices, then God's nowhere to be found? I don't believe that. I don't believe that at all. About first, or Ephesians 1, 9 and 10. God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. Now we're talking about God's plan again. And this is the plan. <laughs> you were to work at McDonald's and not at Cowboy. No, it doesn't say that, okay? And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. That is God's plan. So if God's plan is to bring everything together under the authority of Christ, what do you think his plan for your life is? To be with Christ. To be with Christ. God doesn't care what you do. Okay, now, obviously, I am not saying that you, become, you can become a serial killer. Okay, we're grown adults. Well, most of us are grown adults. God doesn't care what you do. He cares who you are. And he wants you to be, and who he wants you to be is found in Christ. Okay? That is his plan. So does it matter if, if you're a preacher or a cowboy? Does it matter if you work at McDonald's or in real estate? Does it matter if you're a teacher or a doctor? I don't think so. I don't think so. God can bless whatever you do as long as you're in Christ. Okay? Does it matter where you live? No, I don't believe that. Because God can bless whatever you do, wherever you live, if you are in Christ. Does God care about who you marry? Well, yeah, in a way. He says don't be unequally yoked. Okay? But God can bless any relationship where there is love and it is Christ-centered. It doesn't matter. I think that we spend so much of our life with the assumption that there's a specific job, that there is a specific location, there's a specific person, and that somehow we are going to limit God's ability to be there for us, and he's just like saying, well, let's see if you get this right. Man, that, what, how much anxiety does that give you? Man, I've only got one job, and if I don't do that job, I'm not going to be happy. Or, you know, man, I, I got to live here because if I move somewhere else, God won't like that. Man, you are so, we are so limiting God when we do this. Why is this a fatal assumption? Because people lull themselves worrying about missing God's plan for their life, even though that life is right in front of them. The life, the plan that God has for you is to have a relationship with his son. That, everything starts there. And we don't have to worry. I mean, he, he even says, you know, if he says don't even worry about what you eat, that God will provide, do you think he's really going to say, well, I'm only going to give you food if you pick the right job at the right location with the right person? No, it doesn't work like that. And the reason I say it's a fatal assumption, not that that's going to kill you, but how much of our worry comes from these type things every time a big decision comes up? You know, what are we going to do? Oh my gosh, you know, I'm praying about it, but is this what I want to do or is it what God wants to do? Blah, 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 blah. I mean, we just sit there and 
kill ourselves. And people call me or email me all the time and they're like, hey, I'm really struggling with this, you know? Should I, you know, move to New Mexico? God doesn't care. I mean, he cares who you are, not what you do, not where you live, not necessarily who you marry, okay? God does not have a specific plan for your life as far as the location and everything. Now, do I think that God calls people to special things? Yes, I do. I do think God calls us to special things. I think he does call some people to special places, but it, was, it is so obvious that it would take a gunsel to miss it, okay? So, the first fatal assumption is that God has a specific plan for your life, and if you miss it, you're, you're going to be lost forever. That's not true. Second one, God is more interested in religion than me or you. That God's, what he wants, what he's most interested in is our religion. And that's just not the case. See, religion is man's way of trying to get close to God. Religion is man's way of trying to get close to God. Think about this. How many different religions are there out there? There's, I, I don't even know. I don't even know how many religions are out there. And even within a specific religion, you've got different denominations and different groups and different sects. S-E-C-T-S, just so y'all know. Religion is always man's way of attempting to get to God, okay? Religion is man's way of trying to get close to God, receive God's blessing, and work hard enough to receive God's forgiveness. That, that's religion. But Jesus is God's way of getting close to man. Jesus is the way that God gives his blessing. Jesus is the one that did the work that we could have never done on our own. And Jesus grants us the forgiveness that we need. It's all about him. Religion puts the onus of responsibility on us. We've got to be good enough. We've got to do this. We've got to do that. If we don't do this, we're not going to get that. Everything is a cause and effect. But an authentic relationship with Christ is all based upon who he is, what God did for us, and how we're supposed to follow him. You know, I think that religion is a mask of righteousness. I think religion is a mask of righteousness. You know, I, I hesitate to say this because I, I, I'm just making an illustration. There's no judgment whatsoever. But a lot of times when you go to rodeos, you, you see people that went to Walmart and bought their hat. You know, and it's that, it's that straw one that's all jacked up with the string on it. And their boots are like pointy and their pants are skinny jeans. You know, I mean, it's just, I, I admire the try. I do, I admire the try. But, but it's just, a, it's a costume. And I think religiousness or religion is a costume that we put on. It doesn't necessarily represent who we really are. Religion is a mask of righteousness. Jesus is the source of salvation, the well of forgiveness that never goes dry, and the hope of the world. 
It doesn't depend upon you. It depends upon him. So how do we know that God is more interested in us than religion? In Hosea 6.6, 6, and you don't have to turn there. You can if you want to. Hosea 6.6, 6, this is what God says. I want you to show love, not offer sacrifices. I want you to know me more than I want burnt offerings. And this is Old Testament. So this was still under the law. I mean, God is saying that. He's like, man, I want, to show, I want you to show love, not offer sacrifices to me. I want you to know me more than I want burnt offerings. And as a matter of fact, this passage was so important that in Matthew 9, 7 and Matthew 12, 13, two different times out of the Old Testament, Jesus references this scripture right here. It, God is not after religion. He wants our heart. God is not after our works. He's after our faith. How about this? In John 6, 28 and 29, Jesus is talking to a bunch of people, and they replied, we want to perform God's works too. What should we do? <laughs> How many times have we said that or heard it? What does God want me to do? I want to do good stuff for God. What does he want me to do? They replied, we want to perform God works, God's works too. What should we do? And this is what Jesus said. Jesus told them, this is the only work God wants from you, to believe in the one that he has sent. Doesn't that line up with Hosea 6.6? 6? Because he says, I want you to know me more than I want burnt offerings. I want you to show love, not bring me sacrifices. What he's saying is that a sacrifice without love means nothing. And what the other part means is burnt offerings without knowing God means nothing. Burnt offerings and sacrifices are religion. The works that God wants from you to believe in the one that he has sent. In other words, Jesus is the answer. Why is this a fatal assumption? Because we assume that God wants religion from us when all he really wants is for us to have a personal relationship with his son. My gosh, we, we fret and we worry and we stay up at night wondering what God wants us to do. Is this, am I really doing what God wants me to do? Am I, am I, do I, am I living in the right house? Am I living in the right state or the right city or the right ranch or whatever the case may be? Am I married to the right person or I'm trying to find the right person and I'm so scared that I'm going to miss him or her? I don't think that's... God just wants to be the center of your life. He doesn't really care where you live or what you do or who you're married to as long as you're not unequally yoked and it's a Christ-centered relationship. And God doesn't care about religion. He wants you. And he gets you through his son. Your personal relationship. Now, this next one is polarizing. What does polarizing mean? It means that you're going to have these people over here are going to agree, these people over here are going to agree, and the line runs through Sarah, so she doesn't know. She hadn't decided yet. Here's the fatal assumption. That if you're once saved, you're always saved. That's a fatal assumption. Now, let me talk about it before you go apologetics on me, okay? 
I think that heaven is the human hall of fame. Hall of fame. I think that heaven is the human hall of fame. Think about this. You don't get in to the PRCA Hall of Fame for getting on a steer when you were nine. Right? I mean, you talk to anybody like, oh, yeah, I used, I used to ride bulls. I used to do this. I used to do that. Well, are, are they going to make the Hall of Fame because they rode at two jackpot rodeos? No. What gets you into the Hall of Fame? A life dedicated to it. Dedicated to a specific cause. You don't get in because you went to a lot of rodeos. There's not a place in Colorado Springs at the PRCA Hall of Fame for the biggest fan. Okay, well, I went to, you know, I went to the, the finals every year for 50 years. Well, I mean, that's, that's freaking awesome, but that's not going to get you in the Hall of Fame. You don't get in because you have the NFR jacket you bought from an overpriced vendor, nor are you going to get into heaven because you have a cross T-shirt or blingy butt blings with cross on your pockets, okay? That's not going to get you into heaven. You get in because you made Jesus the center of your life. Everything you do, everything you say, everything you are revolves around him. Once saved, always saved is a fatal assumption. But I'm not saying whether it's true or not, okay? I'm saying that it's a fatal assumption if you're wrong. Because I have researched this, okay? I have researched this. There are people smarter than all of us put together that will say, once you're saved, you're always saved. And there are people that are smarter than every single one of us put together that say, once saved does not always mean saved. I mean, I, I'm just saying that if you think that because you went to church whenever you were a kid and you were baptized when you were a baby, that you're getting into heaven. Here's why I have a problem with that. Because if you are once saved, always saved, and I'm not saying it's not true, I'm just, we're going to say that that's the truth. If you are once saved, always saved, then why does the Bible talk about sin? Why does the Bible preach repentance? Why does, why does Jesus go on and on and on about picking up your cross and carrying it? Because if it was just once saved, always saved, we wouldn't worry about whether we sinned or not. We would just talk everybody into saying the words, doing the deal, and then y'all could leave and just go do whatever you wanted to the rest of your life. I, I think that that's a fatal assumption to make. See, Jesus said that we, to, we are to abide in him. You remember that verse? That we are to abide in him. So we're going to have Ty come up and give us a definition of abide. <laughs> He's going to abide in his chair and not come up here. Okay, Abide means to remain. Abide means to remain. It doesn't mean just say a few words and then go do whatever you want to do. He said, if you abide in me, I will abide in you. So I don't really know if once saved is always saved. And you can have whatever... I'm not trying to talk you out of it. I'm just saying, if it's wrong, it's a fatal assumption. Because, see, I don't really know that I believe in once saved, always saved. It could be right. I'm, not, I'm just saying. But what I do know for a fact that 
how do I say this? Jesus, if you are Jesus saved and you are Jesus lived, you're guaranteed. Why are we going to throw all of our eggs into a theological basket of whether once saved, always saved, or you can lose your salvation or what? But what Jesus said is to abide in me. He said to remain in me. God has three goals for you today. And I told you I wasn't going to keep you very long. It's cold and I've got a pressure switch to change out. God has three goals for you today. For you to know that God wants to bless you in any endeavor, location, and any Christ-centered relationship that you have. You don't have to worry about all of that stuff. Okay? God wants you, the second goal, God wants you, not religion. Now, is coming to church important? I believe it is. I believe it is. Not for salvation, but for growth. To to get together. I mean, y'all don't know everybody here, and y'all watching on the internet don't know any of us here, or very few of us. But we want the fellowship. I mean, the Bible says, do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. The problem with missing church is that when you miss church, you, you stop missing church. You know what I mean? It, it, it's, a, it's a habit. Do I think that we should pray? Yes, I believe we should pray. That's developing that personal relationship. Do I believe that we should um, read the Bible? Yes. How are you going to know, you know who God wants you to be if you don't read the Bible? Does he want us to love others? Yes, that's the whole purpose of it. Okay, But here's the deal. God wants you, not religion. And finally, he doesn't want you to flip a coin and guess whether once saved is always saved. He wants you to abide in Christ. Because maybe this sums it up best. Once Christ, always Christ.